Dear Quest Podcast, Funds Industry Conversations. Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to this episode of the Quest Podcast with me, Danny Lawler. If you're new to the Quest Podcast, do make sure to subscribe, like, and share with your friends as well. So, one of the queries I'm finding come across my desk increasingly, for whatever reason, is around payments and payment services. And what tends to happen is I'm seeing situations where operating companies are offering some form of service or something to help their clients that involves, for example, monies coming into a collection account for being paid onwards to somebody else, monies that never belong to the firm. Now, in the financial services industry, people kind of understand that that's investor monies or client monies and they have the relevant authorization. But for regular operating companies, for example, if you're managing an apartment block and you're gathering monies to pay ESB bills or you're collecting money to pay on in, as part of an investment, it might not be so obvious that that could well be a payment service. And then I said, that's the kind of thing that's starting to cross my desk a little bit more. So I thought it'd be useful to kind of chat about what are payment services? What are the scenarios that firms can find themselves in where they're doing this and they didn't really realize? And if that is the case, what are the solutions available? To do that, I'm delighted to be joined by who I call a payments expert, Rory DeBurka at No Friction. He modestly declines, but he does kind of know his stuff when it comes to this, both in terms of what are payment services and then also the kinds of solutions that existing payment services firms can offer to operating companies so that the regular firms don't need to go and get their own license under PSD2, the Payment Services Directive, which is quite an onerous task. So, quite a technical episode, but good fun nonetheless. And with that, let's get on with the show. The Equest Podcast. Funds Industry Conversations. Hello, Rory. Very welcome to the Equest Podcast. Hi, Danny. Great to be here. So, Rory, I'm going to describe you as a payment services expert, or at least an expert in, in understanding what payment services are. How does a, a nice boy like you grow up to be a payment services expert? What did you do wrong in your, in your life? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm always allergic to the... To, the, to being described as an expert in anything. But yeah, I mean, how did I become where I am? So I'm cur- currently head of anti-financial crime, risk for no friction for a payment company. Previous to that, I served 12 years in the central bank. Served, oh my God. It sounds like a sentence. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I guess that feels, feels like that sometimes. No, I'm, I'm joking. It was, a, it was a great experience. But uh, across that, a lot different supervisor roles and anti-money laundering and conduct across a bunch of different sectors with the last few years being in electronic money and payment institutions. And so I guess it was payments in particular that I was interested to chat about, which is quite a niche subject, but it's kind of surprised me. I see it come up reasonably frequently that you would look at how a company is operating and you would see something in there that says that could be a payment service. And it, it... not so much in financial services firms because they kind of know and understand they're in the financial services industry and if they're going to hold monies then they're usually well they are either a payment institution or they have a client monies or an investor investor monies uh, part to their authorization or if they're a law uh, law firm you know they're subject to client money rules and that kind of stuff so they kind of tend to know what they're doing but it's when you get to other companies that in some shape or form are holding money that doesn't belong to them for passing on to somebody else that always raises a flag for me that we might have a payment services situation here any kind of examples or is that what kind of stuff do you see across your desk and you go yeah that's where we can step in and help 
Yeah, absolutely. So quite often firms that we come across, potential customers, they, they would have a business model in mind, either something that they're currently doing or something they're planning to do. And it might constitute a payment service. So they might be holding money, as you're saying, on behalf of some customer or acting as intermediary in some ways, usually, you know, a good indicator that you're, you're, you're stepping into that sort of a payment service provision space. So when I see it come up, for example, it might be that you have a company that's managing a block of apartments and they uh, gather together the monies to pay the ESB bills for the apartments. So, you know, you have a question there, is there a payment service? It might be some form of online platform or online shop where the items being sold aren't owned by the shop, they're owned by, the, uh, by, by different vendors. Uh, and then the purchasers obviously come in and, and buy. So in some cases, depending on how things are set up, that might be exempt. And in some cases, if you're the middleman, it's not exempt. The next thing again, you have a, a payment service. And then another one scenario might be where uh, you have a group of friends who are investing and, and one establishes an account and into that account comes all of the different members of the, the investment group and they put the monies in and then they go into the investment. And again, you have an account it's got money from a number of different people in it. it. doesn't belong to you. It's going somewhere else. So that kind of brings up your, is there a payment services question uh, in all of those circumstances? And again, usually they're not financial services firms, so they don't mean to be in the financial services industry and, and do payment services. Yeah, that's the, the last thing you want to do is accidentally be providing a regulated service without authorization. Yeah, it's a question. I think any firm uh, where they do find themselves receiving money, not for their own benefit or for their own purpose, for onward transmission, they really need to look at this, look at PSD2, look at the different services and look at the exemptions and see if they fall within them, whether they should go down the route of becoming authorized in their own right or partnering with a, a payment service provider. So all of this area is governed by the payment services directive or PSD2, as the shorthand is, we might chat a little bit about electronic money as well, just so the people understand what that is, but the two are kind of closely linked. And the PSD2 then sets out a number of activities that they would count as payment services. So let's just have a quick chat about them. So you're talking about the setting up of payment accounts that allow for, for monies to come in and out. What kind of service is that then? Is that just if you have a, a bank account that, that people can access? or it, a Payment account is quite similar to a bank account um, and once again similar to an electronic money account but we'll maybe leave the nuance of, of that for, for maybe later on. So if you're receiving cash to place on a payment account or conducting operations, so transferring funds, executing direct debits, receiving direct debit payments or card debit card payments, Money remittance is a pretty big service in this area as well. So the likes of your Western unions, MoneyGrams, that type of thing. Then there were two other services added on, PSD2, which are around open banking, uh, which we haven't really, we won't cover too much here, but payment initiation, where you can initiate a payment on a third party bank's or person's account, and then account information services as well, where you can pull transaction information or details from somebody's account that's held with the bank. So if you so we work backwards through them. Uh, account information services, I guess, would be for a firm that wanted to help you maybe manage your money or analyze how your how the money is coming in and out of your account, maybe help you to be more efficient. That's quite a special service. I guess you don't kind of wander into that. You ought to know that you're you're in a regulated activity there. Likewise, payment initiation. So that's the ability to initiate a payment out of a third-party bank account. So so I have the ability to step in and make a payment out of your Bank of Ireland account or whatever it is. Money remittance, as I said, that's 
kind of your Western Union. I'm, I'm going into the Western Union shop in Dublin to bail out my child in the J1 in New York. Exactly, and, and you need the fastest way to get that cash to them. Yeah, and so that's kind of a service that we're, we're reasonably familiar with. Issuing a payment in instruments, like presumably people would, or firms would, it's quite a deliberate act to issue a payment instrument. What kind of stuff is covered by that? Uh, so it could be a payment card or voucher or something else can be exchanged for value. Yeah. There's a huge variety within that. And there are exemptions there, I guess. So for if you are a gift shop and you issue a gift voucher, you're... You, you know, there's every chance you're probably not covered by PSD too. You don't need to go and get yourself a license. Yes. But if you were maybe in the gift, you know, the, these uh, card businesses where the card can be used in a number of different stores. Exactly. Or across a shopping centre or across a town, that could well be a payment instrument. Absolutely. Yeah. So it, if, if it's not for one specific retail outlet, one yeah. say. So you might have uh, gift cards that can be used all across a shopping center or maybe a whole variety of outlets. Yeah. Um, trying not to name names or <laughs> please don't uh, oh, endorsements. <laughs> Other cards are available. Yes, absolutely. Um, so they 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 can be in as well. And then they said payment accounts. For me, that's kind of like if, uh, this scenario where you have money coming into an account that doesn't belong to. Uh, and you're gathering to send on somewhere else. That's kind of a payment account. Essentially, that's it's, essentially, that's what it is. And uh, the interpretation of it has varied across years. Certainly, there's been some disagreements around it. But essentially, the view now is that those future purposes can be undefined. So you can hold money in a payment account in a similar way that you would with a, with a standard bank account. Obviously, there's, there's a bunch of other differences to them as well. But functionally, quite similar. So quite similar. Okay. But efficiencies there compared to bank accounts, which we can leave, leave for another day. Uh, and so then if you're doing any of this stuff, then at least have the question as to whether you're not, whether or not you're covered by uh, delivering a payment service and, and in scope of PSD2. But there are a number of exemptions. So for example, for online platforms in under the original payment services directive, they kind of were out. But under PSD2, that was changed and we got this commercial agent exemption. So uh, online platforms are covered unless they're only acting for one side of the trade, for example. So if if they are a shop and payment of the shop means that the goods are going to be delivered and it concludes the contract, they're acting for one part and it's probably okay. If you are a marketplace and uh, you are simply sitting in the middle between the buyers and the sellers, you're probably going to need some form of either license or you need to go to engage with a the services firm. That, that's correct. So kind of two of the big ones in terms of exclusions are that commercial agent exemption and the limited network exclusion, which we sort of touched on a minute ago, where the, the, the instrument, the payment instrument can only be used within a very defined network. It wouldn't have the same level of transferability or usability as cash. Yeah. Okay. So if it was a, a limited network, you really, I think, to avail of that, you would want to be genuinely quite limited if it was... You know, anybody could join this network or you were taking in partners or shops or whatever. Exactly. You run the risk so, that you're out of it. Uh, an example people come across would be uh, charging up a card for can- using a canteen or limited retail outlets within, let's say, a workplace or something yeah. like that. Okay. And they're all, and, and so they get, get you out. But otherwise, as I said, you do run the, the risk if, you're, if you are offering these services or offering these facilities that you're, you're caught by delivering payment services. 
what are the options then if you are delivering a payment service? I guess number one is go and get yourself licensed as a payment services firm. Yes, absolutely. Highly recommend that. How did you enjoy? I've, the I've enjoyed. Process? I've enjoyed the the authorization process immensely. No, in, in in all seriousness, it's it's definitely sharpened my my knowledge and it tested our, ourselves here. And no friction. Our controls and everything else are definitely in a better shape now than than we were at the start of the process. Having said that, you obviously do need a level of persistence and flexibility and uh, energy to get through. Yeah, I think uh, if you are in the business of, or you want to be in the business of being a professional payment services firm, obviously this is the route that you go down. If you are an online platform or you are uh, managing apartments, you're not in the financial services industry. It's not really for you to go and try and get this license because it's just going to be outside of your skill set. It is. It takes time, it takes persistence, and it takes resources. So that's probably not going to make sense for most businesses. So if they don't do that, and then, but they want to offer this some form of flexibility to their customers, then I guess partnering with a, an existing payment services firm is a pretty good option. Absolutely. There's, there's a lot of different payment services firms out there that will specialize in help in different sectors and, and have vastly different offerings. It's, it's a really fascinating sector to work in from that point of view because it's very uh, heterogeneous. Like a lot of firms, different business models and specialize in different sectors. So you, you mentioned there um, uh, real estate and kind of gathering like a management company, gathering payment for bills uh, to be paid to providers. Like there are providers out, out there that will help with that specifically because there might be inter- integrations uh, that would help from a, an efficiency perspective with the tech stack that maybe is predominant in, the, in, the, in that sector. Likewise, uh, for, let's say, holding client funds or other kinds of things, there are other providers there that integrate with different software packages that can make that a little bit a little bit less painful. I wouldn't say quite painless or frictionless, yeah. certainly what we, what we aim for. It's what a lot of, lot of, lot of companies in the market aim for. So if you, as I said, you're, you, you're offering some form of account or you're, you're carrying out a service or you're, you're offering something to your clients, you don't want a payment service license, it's not your business, and you engage with a payment services firms, there are different firms that will have different specialities and, and sectors. But broadly, I guess, the other side that means you will end up in a position that you're compliant and you don't have to worry about being the wrong side of the rules you would probably have a, an accounting arrangement, let's call it, or, or a, a transaction arrangement that looks probably quite similar to how you would work through a bank account, but probably more efficient, maybe cheaper to run, and maybe easier to access, a little bit more tech savvy probably, but may, may, for example, not be an account that's in the name of the firm. It might be in the individual unit holders' accounts. Exactly. Names. Like the, Depending on the... It's a little bit difficult to talk in generalities because there's so many different ways to structure uh, these types of arrangements. So yes, absolutely. You could have the account in the underlying beneficiary's name. You could have it, depending on the arrangement with the intermediary or the, the, the customer, you could be a pooled account. Obviously, you need, need certain protections and reconciliations around those. But yeah, there, there's lots of different ways to kind of uh, slice the... And it gets you into that position where you can still offer this service to the clients that you want to offer it to. You do it in a way that's compliant and you actually have a very efficient package to offer and something that works quite well and find the right payment partner and you'll be able to partner up and, and work on that and get a solution. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Great. Easy as that. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> I guess the thing is to, to just 
to just not kind of trip into or fall into providing a service that you just you know you did it for genuine reasons to help your customers but next thing you know you're actually doing a service that's regulated and you it was kind of unannounced to yourself exactly yeah and it is quite a specialized niche uh, and somewhat complicated area uh, payments particularly around anything around payment services directive so it might benefit some people to just even talk to a payment services provider see if this type of arrangement might suit see if they actually do need uh, a regulation or whether they fall within one of the exemptions uh, and there might be other benefits to, to, to be had too from, from this kind so of So help is out there. It is, certainly. Yeah, it is actually. And, and there are solutions that work very well and, and aren't that difficult to put in place. The key thing is just to understand if you've got an issue or not. And where you really don't want to be is that there's been a problem or money isn't where it's supposed to be. And next thing you know, it escalates into starting to dig under the under the bonnet and see, was this actually a service that required regulation? And then you're in a whole other area of pain probably exactly it's particularly if a firm has scaled and you have maybe hundreds maybe thousands of, of underlying PEs and you've quite quite a uh, complex arrangement to disentangle you might then find you know you might find yourself in a space where companies might never might have an appetite to untangle that arrangement or or be able to at that stage, there might be other complications if, unfortunately, the uh, the company in the middle faces liquidation or wind up, and then you're facing into a very difficult situation that, that would be quite difficult to, to resolve. Okay. Well, you look forward to having clients to do that. Absolutely. <laughs> well, look, I have, to, I have to look at the worst case scenario, given that's my job. So I guess we take care of that or we think about that so people don't have to spend too much time thinking about that. But on that positive note... <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for your time Rory very useful to well one where raise awareness of where the issues can come up and then secondly the ways that firms can approach finding solutions that hopefully aren't too difficult or too painful to get to absolutely great, great. thank you very much Rory and thank you for listening to this episode of the Equest Podcast we'll catch you next time the Equest Podcast funds industry conversations